If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the Journey Home Outreach Ministries Bible Study for our message of the Bible series. You have just made most important decisions you will make in our life and that you learn about the God who created us. I am Elder Faith, and I will be your teacher of the word for some and presenters of the word for others. Depending on where you are with your knowledge of the word of God, and your walk with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No matter where you are, these lessons are designed to help you to see with your spiritual eyes, hear with your spiritual ears, and perceive in your heart by the Holy Spirit the message of the Bible and not just the stories of the Bible. There are many great and exciting stories in the Bible, stories about people just like us, mighty men of God, who accomplished things impossible for, for moral men to do. Later on in our study, we will surely be visiting some of those mighty men or believers in God to see what is the message for us in their story. But at this point, we won't be focusing on the stories of the Bible, but on the message of the Bible. Although each one of these mighty men of God played an important part in the message, but they by themselves could not complete the message in its entirety. So, Stay with me through the whole series, and I promise that you will be—you will see the Bible in a whole new light. And when you interact with the Word of God, the book will actually come alive, and you will begin to see your life being blessed in ways you would never have imagined. I will be teaching from the King James version of the Bible. Feel free to use any version you have available to help you build your faith. As we go along, I will use the Old and New Testament scriptures together. I ask that you have pencil and paper handy because I will be giving you scriptures to back up my teaching. If you've missed a lesson or while the session is in progress, you can always go to the ministry web page at www.sisterpoochie.com and click on the Bible study tab and listen to the lesson again. This is important. Because at the end of each session, we'll lead you into the session for the next week. So, let's begin lesson one and see if we can find our first message from God. In order for us to comprehend the message in the God's Word, we must first believe that there is a God to begin with. How do we know that He exists? Let's tell this person right now. Because in the book of Hebrew, the eleventh chapter, the sixth verse says, "He who come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek Him." So first, we got to believe that God is, in order to get in our spirit that there really is a God, and He put a bonus on this. 
that he is the rewarder for those who diligently seek him. When we have questions about something in the Bible, something that the Bible says, we must look for biblical answers. So we find the answer to if there is a God in Genesis, the first chapter and the first verse, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We really, need to, we really do need to get this cell in our minds and our spirit or we won't be able to fully believe God, what God is saying as we move forward. There's a big difference in having a vague knowledge of God that I am not just sure feeling and knowing that you know, that you know, that you know that there is a God. It is here where we are trying to get to knowing that we know, that we know that there is a God. And Jeremiah 29, chapter 13, first can help us get there. Jeremiah says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There is no such thing as not getting to know God. Hallelujah. Okay, let's move on. In Genesis, the first chapter, the 26th verse, and God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, this is an analogy that we sometimes have a problem with. Sometimes it gets confusing. So let's see if we can work through this and get a clearer understanding about what it means to be made in his image and his likeness. As we read this statement in the Bible, our first reaction is to try to figure this out through our physical senses. We must remember that every statement in the Bible must be viewed with our spiritual senses. And what he says can only be perceived in spirit. In John the fourth chapter, the twenty-fourth verse, it says, God is a spirit. I know it says much more in this particular verse, which we will get to in another session when we start learning how to worship God in spirit and truth. But right now, we need to focus on that God is a spirit. And I'm trying to get you to see with your spiritual eyes. Let's think about this in the physical sense. If we are made in the image and likeness of God, then when we look in the mirror, we should see God. But what we see is the reflections of our physical self. Now, look at this. When you move away from the mirror, you can't move what your own reflection looks like. Then how can we see and remember God when we look at our own self in the mirror and can't remember what our own image looked like? How can we remember God from that? Let's go to a scripture that might help us with that. Hebrew, 11 chapter, the third verse. Through faith we understand that the words were form- that the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Let's just think about that for a minute. I usually I usually don't teach from any other Bible 
uh, but the uh, King James version. But I'm going to the new, the new Living Translation and see if we can get a better understanding in the New Living Translation. Trans, translation. It says, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that we can see. So, when we see our reflection in the mirror, we are not seeing God. Because God cannot be seen with our natural senses. I'm going to give you a little example. Why is it that when others look at you, they remember what you look, remember your image, what you look like for years to come. We make friends as we mature in life and we be close to those people enough to see them, to know them, to know what's inside of them, to know what their personalities are. And those people can disappear from us for years. But once they come back into our lives, we remember them. We remember what they looked like. We remember how they were. We remember if they were a good person or a bad person. This is the same way we're seeing God. It is not until we study his word and take on his character and become so like him to reflect him, become his image and likeness, we take on his qualities that others are able to see him in us. In other words, we should strive that others can see God in us. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Not let, let man make us in his image and likeness. We look into the mirror and try to make that image we see into God. So when we hold the image in us in the mirror, that when we draw back cannot remember what it even looks like, it's because it's just a reflection of our physical self. Let's look at Matthew, the fifth chapter in the 16th verse. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Seeing God's image is not all about me, me, me. If you know God, you should know that he is in you. Sometimes we just need to just just get over ourselves for a minute. In the book of James, the first chapter, the 23rd verse, says, Anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says, it's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What James is trying to say here is you not only have to listen to God's word, but you have to do what it says. When you do what God's word says, that's when he becomes alive in you. And others can see him in you. And you don't have to see him by reflecting the mirror. You know he is in you by the words that you have in you from him. 
We must wrap ourselves in God's word, not just to know it, but to do it. It is us who bring the word of God to life. God's word is a living word. And when we get that word in us and start acting on his word and start doing what his word says, it becomes alive. Others can see God in you. You can see God in others. It's about God in all of us. We are all God's children. We are all made in his image and his likeness when we have his word in us. So when we interact with each other, we can interact in a way that's according to God's word. I know sometimes it's pretty crowded on the public transportation where where I have to travel to work every day. And I can just look and see how people react when someone walks up against them. Even though that one person said, I'm so sorry, are you okay? There's a, the person that he interact with might say, you need to take that backpack off your back. Which one could I see Christ in? Is the one that they said they were sorry? Are you okay? Are the one that got all mad and started telling them what they needed to do? We can see if God is in another person. And another person can see if God is in us. That's how we reflect his image and likeness, the way we interact with each other. So, let's take a look at this thing in a spiritual sense. The mirror that you're looking to to see reflection of God is the mirror of your soul. The mirror of your soul, what is inside of you. Look deep inside of you when you look in that mirror. And then you can see God. And that reflection you see is going to be a whole different persona. You're going to see, you're going to look at yourself in a whole different way, that reflection, because what's inside of you is going to reflect into your physical image. So, that was a mouthful. Let's see what the message we have received from God so far. We have received from God the message that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He made man in his image and his likeness. We have received from God that those who come in, come to him must believe that he is and he is a rewarder to those who do to seek him. We got the message that if we seek him, we can find him. If we seek for him with all our heart. So we learned that there is no such thing as no way to get to know God. So let's move on and see what other messages God revealed to us. From Genesis, the first book in the Old Testament, through Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, is all about Jesus. So, we'll spend the rest of this session on Old Testament. Now, don't hit the Google button and start going shopping because you think the Old Testament is too boring. Because there are things in the Old Testament that we must know. 
in order to ever begin to really comprehend Jesus in the New Testament, like who he is, why he had to come, what it meant to us then, and what is the benefit to us right now. Even though we believe in him, we believe in Christ, we're not utilizing all that Christ gives to us. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is there so much violence and destruction in the world today? In order to answer this question, we have to go back to the beginning of history, the history of mankind, to the story of Adam and Eve. I don't I don't believe there is anyone out there who is listening now or who will listen later that have not heard about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So I'm going to review the story and not go through the whole New Testament or the whole story of Adam and Eve in Genesis. I'm just going to review the story. Let's look at Genesis, the second chapter, in the seventh verse. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God called this man Adam. In Genesis, the second chapter, the 21st verse, and the Lord, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And it took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. The woman that he had made was called Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, they had both been, were made in the image and likeness of God. He placed them in this wonderful place called the Garden of Eden. It was a paradise where they lived a life pleasing and acceptable to God. And they rule over their world in a good, good and a just way. And then to really top it off, they both had direct contact and fellowship with God himself. God walked in the garden of Eden with them. They literally had it all. Then something happened to change everything. After God literally gave them everything under the sun, he tells them that there is now one thing they cannot do. God specifically tells them they can eat of every single tree that is in this garden with the exception of one tree. This one tree is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Think about this. God made this test they both had to pass so that the future of all mankind could be as easy as they had it. He tells them that all they had to do was stay off this one tree. He tells them that they can literally eat from every other tree that is in the garden. Man from the beginning was supposed to be a certain way and act a certain way. However, all this changed when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. The man that God created 
sinned against him. God tells us in the Holy Bible that when Adam, and Adam sinned and fell, the entire human race also sinned and fell with him. That, that's enough to bring tears to your eyes. As a result, man is inherently sinful and corrupt. Every man after after Adam and Eve is born that way. The way into the garden is closed because because he who is holy and righteous cannot live with man the sinner. The world has not and never will see a worse tragedy than what happened in the Garden of Eden. Because of man and his disobedience to God's command, God drove them out from his presence. God separated himself from man. Without the presence of God in man's life, his world gets all chaotic. This is also true of us today. We look at the world today and we wonder, where is God? Why is he allowing this to happen? Did it ever occur to you that man as a whole, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is still out of the presence of God. Look what happened to Adam and Eve's world. Being driven out of the garden, out of the presence of God, when Adam and Eve had their first two children, Cain and Abel, the, the evil sin of disobedience that had been unleashed on mankind raised his ugly head, and one brother murdered the other. That's how dangerous it is to be out of the presence of God. We need to make sure that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is He to, who keeps us in God's presence. I want you to please read the story on your own time. I encourage you to read the entire book of Genesis. And if you have any questions, please contact me on our webpage at sisterpucci.com. Click the prayer. Click on the prayer line and spiritualization tab, and spiritual consultation tab, and send an email to the spiritual council. We can work together through the rest of Genesis if you don't understand anything. But to understand the context of the tragedy of what happened in the Garden of Eden and of the Cain and Abel story, one must look forward to the special story of the Jewish nation. According to the Bible, when God spoke to man, when God spoke to man Abraham and told Abraham that he was to be the founder of a special people. These special people were not only to show the rest of the world the power of God, but they were to set up a system of living to help them understand and prepare them for the coming of the world's Redeemer, the Messiah. Someone to save us from this terrible state man has found himself in because of the tragedy in the garden. God had to set up a system of living to prepare and teach men how to live under the rule of the Redeemer, the Messiah who was coming. So, as soon as Abraham's family grew large enough to become a nation, God appointed prophets 
priests and kings. Though the Messiah was for the world, God's plan in history was that the Messiah of the world would be born from the descendants of this man called Abraham. The entire Old Testament is prophecy, a foreshadowing, an announcement of the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament tells how God prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah for the whole world. If you read the Old Testament, you read a lot about prophets, priests, and kings. These, are, these all point to the need for the Messiah to come. Keep in mind, I am not teaching the stories of the Bible. I am teaching the message of the Bible. Although all of these characters played their part in the message, but not one was the message itself. Very simply then, what was the task of each of the Old Testament? The prophets. The prophets were showing the way to life back with God through their teachings. God chose Moses as the first prophet among the people of Israel. All the prophets of the Old Testament times, such as Nathan, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Malachi, and many more that followed them, they continued to teach the people until the last great prophet, Jesus the Messiah, came. So the prophets in the Old Testament were teachers. They were to teach the people. They were teaching them and showing them the way to lie back with God. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14 through 22. Now, this is 1,400 years before Christ was born. Moses spoke about this last great prophet. The Bible tells us when he told the people of Israel, the Lord your God will raise for you a prophet like me from the midst, from your brethren. Him shall you hear. The prophet's word spoke of the Messiah to come, showing the people the way back to life God. But God also appointed priests. Let's see what the priest role was. Through the priest, God opened the way to life with him again. How did he open the way? Through blood. If you read the Old Testament, you will read a lot about the sacrifices of lambs, goats, and calves. There was a lot of blood and sacrifice. Why? Because man is sinful and guilty and needs someone to die in his place. In Romans 6, the 6th chapter, the 23rd verse, says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. We were supposed to die for the sin that we committed. But with the coming of the Messiah, God gave us a gift. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, God appointed Aaron, Moses' brother, as the high priest in Israel. The Bible said that Aaron and his son... After him were to be the priest, were to be the priests of the people. 
The priest belonged to the temple. His task was threefold. One, to sacrifice. Two, to pray. And three, to bless. Let me explain, let me explain how the temple operated. Deep inside the temple was a place called the most holy place. In, inside was a small object called the ark. This was a sign of God's presence on earth, living with mankind. Although he banned his creation from the God, he still showed love and compassion for them. He had this, as a desire to still live among his creation. God commanded, however, that no man was allowed to enter the most holy place. Only the high priest, and only once a year. Only through the blood, blood of lambs, goats, and cows, the way was opened into the most holy place to meet with God. Though the blood of the lambs, through the blood of the lambs, there was forgiveness for the priests and for the people. Then the priest lifted up his hand and he blessed the people. This was repeated again and again, year after year. Because the blood of animals cannot atone for sin, these were all temporary. The sacrifice, the priest, the temple, and all its symbols were portrayed, portrayed and prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, who will open the way to God through his blood. The Lord has sworn you are a priest forever. This is in Psalm 101, chapter 101, verse 1. Verse one. In, in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, the 6th verse, 700 years before the coming of the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah spoke, All we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. The end of Aaron's line would come when the Messiah came, who would be priest forever. Our priest, as priest, he will provide the sacrifice and the offerings of sin. Mercy God. But who would lead them on the right path once they were forgiven? By the priest's sacrifice. God therefore appointed kings over the people. What was the king's role? The king led the people to live with God by guiding them on the path of faith and obedience. Their task was threefold. One, to govern according to the word of the prophets, to prepare to protect the helpless, and to fight against injustice. Through the king, then we see the rule of the coming of the sire portrayed. The king knew that the people were inclined to follow their own evil desires. The kings in the Old Testament were to take control of these desires, rule over these, and rule according to God's law. When Israel as a nation received their land, God then appointed David king of Israel. The Messiah, the God before told, would be the son of would come from the son would be the son of David and he will reign forever. In Psalms, the hundred and 
the second chapter and the sixth verse. When God spoke to David 1,000 years before the Messiah came, he said, I have installed my king. This is in the singer, my king. David was not that king, neither were his descendants, but the rule of the Messiah was portrayed and announced through the rule of David and his son. In Isaiah, the ninth chapter, the sixth through the seventh verse, 700 years before the Messiah was born, God spoke to David, for us a child is born, unto us a sign is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, of his increase, of his government and peace, there shall be no end. In the Bible, we read that God told David that his descendants would continue to rule on the throne until a son was born who would rule on his throne forever. When you read about the prophets, the priests, the kings in the Old Testament, you will conclude that all of them had shortcomings. They were stained by sin. You will read about ter- terrible sins which came with some of the kings committed. And priests and the prophets were all, were all sinful also. But through them, the people heard the voice of the coming of Christ. They saw the sacrifices of the coming Messiah. And they saw the rule of the coming Messiah. But their prophets, priests, and kings were not the Messiah. This only shows the need for the Messiah, who is the perfect prophet, the perfect king, and the perfect priest. The chief prophet, the only high priest, and the eternal king. For him, they were all longing and yearning and fainting for. And so are we, if we have not accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, in the fourth verse. But when the time had fully came, God sent his son, born of a woman. God was driving history forward. This goal, the coming of the Messiah, the one who truly satisfied man's deepest loneliness and quenched man's dying thirst. And in the fullness of time, he came in the New Testament. I trust that this gives you an overview of the prophecy of Christ's coming, announcing on every page of the Old Testament. When we celebrated Christmas, it just has passed. We celebrated this prophecy being fulfilled. The message, is, the message here is our chief prophet, our only high priest, and the eternal king has come. Joy to the world. So please join me next week as we move into the New Testament to discover more, test, uh, more New Testament message from our message of the Bible series. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.
Amita Health, you're more than a set of symptoms. You're a whole person. That's why we provide whole care and offer everything you need to keep your health and life in balance. Learn more at AmitaHealth.org slash whole care. Amita Health, in sickness and in health. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? The sleepless nights, the constant worry, and the feelings of isolation. Recovery Centers of America wants you to know you're not alone. Addiction destroys families. But if you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your loved one can begin to recover, and so can your whole family. At Recovery Centers of America at St. Charles, your loved one will be treated with compassion and dignity by expert addiction professionals while recovering in a world-class facility. Family Support Services will give you knowledge, connection, and community so that you can begin to heal and recover as well. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. Recovery Centers of America accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services at no cost. Patients are admitted 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. 